Well, good morning. So uh, last week I, uh, I asked you to read Psalm 59. I know at least one of you did by testimony. I asked you to look at Psalms 51 through 60 so that you would get the context, and I hope that at least some of you were able to do that. Let me tell you that uh, beginning next week, we will uh, begin to look together at a story. We will look together at Genesis 37 through 50, the history of God's dealing with his covenant people at an incredibly desperate moment in their lives, uh, in the lives of the 12 sons of Jacob. So I encourage you, uh, especially next week, I'm going to preach from Genesis 37 and 38. I can't possibly read all of Genesis 37 and 38, or we would be here until 2 o'clock, okay. which I'm willing. Okay. But if you will have read those chapters, and perhaps all of 37 through 50, it will better prepare you for our time of uh, study together in God's word. Let me ask you this morning to look with me at Psalm 59. We've had some, uh, we've sung as if we were Hebrews this morning. Uh, The tombs have been very uh, Jewish and uh, we've sung psalms. So I want you to look with me at Psalm 59 and we're going to consider this together this morning. When you read the psalms, Don't skip the words that introduce to you the psalm. Now, there's debate over whether or not these words of introduction are part of inspired scripture or not. Um, I happen to know the answer to that, but I can't share it with you. But um, we're going to take them seriously, okay? So, Psalm 59, to the choir master. Okay, Scott, where are you? Okay, this is, this is for you. Okay, all right. According to do not destroy a mictum. Scott, do you know a mictum? Okay, I assume it's a tune, uh, but if Scott can't sing it for you, I'm not going to try. A mictum entitled do not destroy. A mictum of David when Saul sent men to watch his house in order to kill him. Now David writes, deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil. Save me from bloodthirsty men. For behold, they lie in wait for my life. Fierce men stir up strife against me for no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord, for no fault of mine. They run and make ready. Awake, come to meet me and see. You, Lord God of hosts, God of Israel, rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil. Each evening they come back howling like dogs and prowling about the city. There they are, bellowing with their mouths, with swords in their lips, for Whom, they think, will hear us. But you, O Lord, 
Laugh at them. You hold all the nations in derision. Oh, my strength, I will watch for you. For you, oh God, are my fortress. My God, in his steadfast love, will meet me. God will let me look in triumph on my enemies. Kill them not, lest my people forget. Make them totter by your power. Bring them down, O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouths, the words of their lips, let them be trapped in their pride. For the cursing and lies that they utter, consume them in wrath. Consume them till they are no more, that they may know that God rules over Jacob to the ends of the earth. Each evening they come back howling like dogs, prowling about the city. They wander about for food and growl if they do not get their fill. But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. Oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you for you, O oh God, are my fortress the God who shows me steadfast love. Pray with me. O oh Lord, our strength, our fortress. Father, now help us to comprehend David's cry, the message of this psalm. Help us to see the one to whom David cries out. Help us to see that you are at work in our lives even as you were at work in David's. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So who or what dogs you? Gnaws at you? Is it other people? Painful circumstances for which you're not to blame? Perhaps it's a recurring sin in your life. Who or what provokes you to cry out, to the Lord, to deliver, to protect, to save you. This, that's David's cry in the first two verses of Psalm 59. He's dogged by enemies, and he cries out to the Lord. You see the strength of these first two verses. He cries out to the Lord to deliver him, to protect him, again, to deliver him, finally, to save him. Now think about this. David cries out, knowing the Lord promised, back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, David cries out, knowing the Lord promised to build for him a house, an eternal kingdom, a seat, uh, to, to seat him upon a, a throne that will, that will last forever. David cries out here in Psalm 59. He cries out knowing what the Lord has done for him, knowing the great things the Lord has done for him, just as many of you have testified this morning. He anointed David to be Israel's future king. He stunningly enabled David to defeat Goliath in battle. He granted David victory over tens of thousands of Israel's enemies. He seated David upon a throne, and not just any throne, that throne which in 1 Chronicles 29, 23 is called the throne of the Lord. And as king, the Lord empowers him to win 
many more battles, to, to conquer Jerusalem, to, to bring the Ark of the Covenant into David's royal city, the city that the psalmist entitles the city of the Lord. David here in Psalm 59, he cries out. Now, you have to understand this. He cries out knowing. And we can see this reflected in other psalms. He cries out knowing that the Lord is the true king of Israel. He knows that he is simply the Lord's vice regent. He knows that the Lord has given to him the task to teach his people by word and example to faithfully serve and obey their one true God. But his task is not easy. Life is not easy. He is surrounded by enemies. He is surrounded by enemies out there, and he is troubled by an enemy within, a lion-like dog that threatens to devour him. So what about you? By grace through faith in Jesus as Savior, Lord, and King, you know that he delivered you from sin's curse and power. You know that he promises to be with you. You know that he promises to meet all your needs. You know that he promises to love you with a love that will never let you go. And furthermore, as you have demonstrated this morning, you know the great things he's done for you. You can testify about his providential care in your life, how he's protected you time and again, how he's led you out of darkness and brought you to live in the light of his unchanging truth. You know all that. Just as David knows all of that. But you also know, as David knows, that life is not easy. It's just not easy. There are circumstances that dog you, that gnaw at you. It may be because you are being sinned against. It may be because of particular sins that continually eat at you. Well, I assure you, listen to me, I know all about it. I know all about that. David knows all about that. It's nothing new. It's nothing strange. It's nothing unique to your life. Now, if we just back up here in the Psalter, back in Psalm 51, David knows that what is gnawing at him are his sins of adultery and murder. And then in Psalms 52 through 60, David knows that he is being dogged by enemies all around him. Now, this becomes very important. And if you miss this, sometimes it's hard to follow what's going on in the Psalms. As you read David's Psalms, you have to remember who David is. He is God's vice regent. He's God's chosen king, God's representative. In the Psalms, though it sometimes seems that way, in the Psalms, David doesn't speak simply out of self-concern. 
His major concern is for the Lord's glory and the Lord's people. He knows because he is the Lord's vice regent, the Lord's representative. He knows that those who attack him are in truth attacking the Lord and his people. Now, again, backing up. Back in Psalm 51, as David confesses his sins, he knows, first and foremost, that his sins are against the Lord. He cries out in Psalm 51, verse 4, against you and you only. It's such a strange statement. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, clearly, David's, David has sinned against others. He sinned against Bathsheba, her husband Uriah. He has sinned against his own people who, because of David's sin, will experience troubling times in the years ahead. But though his sins horribly impact others, David knows that first and foremost, he has sinned against the Lord. And then in Psalms 52 through 60, as David speaks of those enemies all around him, those enemies who growl against him, he knows that while these people are sinning against him, first and foremost, they are sinning against the Lord. They are sinning against his people. Now here in Psalm 59, as David remembers a time when Saul dogged him, he applies the lessons he learned then to his present situation. The moment David remembers is told to you in 1 Samuel chapter 19. It's, it's when Saul was king, and knowing David will be Israel's next king, Saul is jealous of David's popularity, uh, his popularity with the people, and, and Saul views David as a threat. So he sends his hitmen to David's house to kill him. But David's wife, Micah, it's a girl's name, David's wife, Micah, who is Saul's daughter, by the way, she informs David of her father's plan. She helps David escape out a window. She makes it appear that David is laying sick in bed. She tells Saul's hitmen that David's too ill to get up. And perhaps thinking that David is dying, they return to Saul empty-handed. Now, here in Psalm 59... As David remembers how the Lord delivered him from Saul, David cries out for the Lord to once more protect him from those who are now dogging him. Now, we're not sure of the exact circumstances here in Psalm 59. But in, look at verses 2 and 3. I mean, in verses 2 and 3, David describes his enemies as bloodthirsty, evil men laying in wait for him actively seeking opportunities to harm him. Wow, what a mess. Verse 3, David says, I've done nothing to provoke these attacks. Now, 
This is one of those times when you can get a little confused when you read the Psalms. David is not, by that statement, David is not claiming to be sinless. We go back to Psalm 51. We know David doesn't, doesn't think of himself as sinless. But what he is saying is, he says, I know the attacks I am suffering aren't because of anything particular that I have done. Now, again, backing up, back in Psalm 51, David knows full well it's his fault. David, David knows the dogs gnawing at him are because of his own sins. Well, I know what that's like, don't you? If you don't know what that's like, then you are unique as far as the people of God are concerned. David knows what that's like. I know what that's like. You know what that's like for particular sins to gnaw at you. But in Psalm 59, David knows it's not because of any fault of his that he's under attack. And perhaps you also know what, what that is like to face difficult circumstances that you can stand before the Lord and say, I don't know why. I just don't know why. Now, look at verses 6 and 7 and verses 14 and 15. Here David describes his attackers as dogs. Now listen, he's not talking about your adorable pet. Okay? I'm a dog lover. I happen to know theologically that all dogs go to heaven. Okay? Okay. I'm not sure about cats. Sorry. Sorry. So David here is, (laughs) I'm sorry, I know I just gave offense. I think I need a drink at this point. (laughs) So when he talks about dogs, he's not talking about your adorable pet. He's talking about packs of scavengers that are roaming the city. David describes them as, as howling with words as sharp as swords, as arrogantly thinking no one will hear them or, or judge them. And like scavengers, they, they prowl about looking for what they can, they can devour. And in verse 15, you're told that their appetites are never sated. They're never satisfied. Now, again, remember... As David faces all of this, David isn't simply concerned about himself. His concern is that these dogs attacking him are in truth attacking the Lord and his people. So in verses 4 and 5, David cries out to the Lord to wake up. David cries out to the Lord, wake up! Rouse yourself! Pay attention! Punish these nations that are attacking me and therefore attacking you and attacking my people, attacking your people. How do you feel about that? David's words offend you? Come on. Come on, look me in the eye. I know these eyes are a little hard to look at, but look me in the eye. Haven't you known times when you felt so overwhelmed by painful circumstances you wondered if the Lord was paying attention? Haven't you? 
Haven't you faced circumstances when you wondered if the Lord was paying attention? You may even now be experiencing such a situation. Now, of course, as if you are a believer, you, you know the Lord is. You know the Lord's paying attention. Don't you think David knows the Lord is paying attention? But this is the outpouring of David's heart before the Lord. He's being honest. And I encourage you, be honest before the Lord. I mean, if you're frustrated with him, do you honestly think he doesn't know you're frustrated with him? I mean, do you think if you don't say anything, you can keep it from him? Be honest before the Lord. Tell him he'll hear you. And as he does for David here in Psalm 59, he'll minister to your needs. He'll reassure you of his steadfast love. Now look at verse 11. David asked the Lord not to kill these dogs, but to leave them tottering for a while for others to see. I mean, I think David wants them to serve as a living demonstration to his people that the Lord is their shield, he is their protector, he is the one who delivers them from the hands of both his and their enemies. In verse 12, I mean, David describes these enemies again. He describes them as prideful, as liars, as those who are cursing him. This is a horrible situation. And in verse 13, David prays that God's judgment of these dogs will reveal to all people that God rules even to the ends of the earth. But then note, but then note in verse 13 that David also prays for the Lord to eventually consume them. Now why would David pray such a harsh prayer? Aren't we to love our enemies? Well, of course we are. The Lord, David doesn't say, let me consume them. David says, you consume them. David, David's words at this point reflect the truth that those who attack God's anointed, who attack God's people, who are therefore attacking the Lord, will be judged by the Lord. They will suffer the eternal consequences of their sins. Those who sow the wind will reap the whirlwind. Okay. Now focus with me on verses 8 and 10 and verses 16 and 17. Verses 8 and 10, let's sit them beside verses 16 and 17. Okay? Now watch. In verse 8, David knows that he need not fear the dogs attacking him. Because he knows the Lord laughs at them. These dogs are causing him a great deal of trouble. But David knows, as you're told back in Psalm 2, that the Lord who sits in heaven, the king who sovereignly rules over all, laughs at them and holds them in derision. Now often, how often, how often do we not understand why the Lord allows dogs to prowl about, growling and gnawing and nipping at us. I've known that bewilderment. I think any saint of God who ever lived upon this earth has known that bewilderment. Why, Lord, are these dogs gnawing at me? But always remember, 
The Lord laughs at them. He holds them in derision. They will not win. The Lord will overcome them. And by his enabling strength, even as the dogs growl and gnaw at you, you can stand firm in your faith. The Lord's purposes are often, I mean, they are often so mysterious, but they're always good. He's at work in your circumstances to accomplish what is for your temporal and eternal good. The Lord is using even the dogs that growl and gnaw at you to achieve his purposes. They can do no more than he allows, no matter how things may seem. He will deliver, he will protect, he will save you. As David testifies, look at verses 9 and 10. As David testifies, the Lord is his strength, the Lord is his fortress. David knows that the Lord's love for him is steadfast. In Hebrew, that word that, that, that speaks of the Lord's steadfast love is hesed. H-E-S-E-D, and if you put it into English. It's hesed. It's a word that's just used countless times in the Old Testament. Almost any time in the Old Testament when you read about the steadfast love of the Lord, the word being used there is hesed. It speaks of the promised eternal love of a covenant-keeping God for his covenant people. And David, knowing the Lord steadfastly loves him. David knows the Lord will enable him to triumph over his enemies. Likewise my, likewise, my dear friends, if you are his, then he is your strength, he is your fortress, his hesed love for you is steadfast. He will empower you to eventually triumph over your enemies be they all around you or be it an enemy within you. Now, look at verses 16 and 17, okay? You got almost the same thing. In verses 16 and 17, David sings of the Lord's strength. He sings of the Lord's steadfast love. He sings of the Lord being for him a fortress and a refuge in times of trouble. Sounds much like what we just read. But now note the difference. Note the difference between verse 9 and verse 17. Okay? They're almost identical, almost. But note that in verse 9, in the midst of his troubles, David waits upon the Lord. But then in verse 17, it says that David sings praises to the Lord. In verse 9, he waits upon the Lord. In verse 17, with almost the identical language, the one changes, now he sings praises to the Lord. Many years ago, there was a, a period of weeks when I was dogged by panic attacks. Yes, even a man of the cloth suffering panic attacks. Unthinkable but true, never knowing, never knowing, never knowing exactly why. I'd find myself in the middle of the night sweating and shaking on the side of my bed, and I'd, 
I'd silently cry out to the Lord, and I'd often begin to sing to myself the words of Psalm 23, which reflects to you just how desperate I felt at that moment. I would sing, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the Lord is with me. Often during these attacks, Linda would wake up, and knowing what was happening, she'd place her hand on my back and begin to pray. It was for me like an angel was singing. And slowly but surely, the attack would cease and assured once more of the Lord's steadfast love, I'd lie down and go peacefully back to sleep. Now, if you will, turn to the prophecy of Habakkuk. Shall we have a sword drill and see who's the first one who can find the prophecy of Habakkuk? I know some of you cheat. You got those electric things, and you're just going to punch in Habakkuk, and up it comes. That's not fair. Turn to the pro- It's in there. Trust me. It's in there. Prophecy of Habakkuk. Hundreds of years after David's day, the prophet was deeply troubled by the rebellious sins of his own people. So he cries out to the Lord. He cries out to the Lord, do something. And the Lord tells him, I'm going to do something. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send the Babylonians to punish Judah. Well, that is not the answer that Habakkuk was looking for. I mean, how often is the Lord's answers to your prayers not what you were looking for? So what does Habakkuk do? Look at Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1 The prophet tells the Lord, I will look to see what you will do. Habakkuk waits upon the Lord in the midst of circumstances that are dogging him. And as he waits, look back, look down at chapter 2, verse 4. As he waits, the Lord reminds him in chapter 2, verse 4, that the righteous will live by faith. By faith in the sovereign Lord's providence, even when it's a providence that at a given moment, such as the moment Habakkuk faces, find it hard to accept or to understand just what the Lord is up to. But by the end of this prophecy, go to chapter 3, verse 17. By the end of this prophecy, Habakkuk testifies, and I'm going to picture Habakkuk singing. Habakkuk sings, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vine, the produce of the olive fail and fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet, I will rejoice. I will sing to the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Well, how in the world can Habakkuk 
Say those things. Sing those things. Look at chapter 3, verse 19. It is because Habakkuk has come to understand, just as David understands in Psalm 59, Habakkuk understands that despite what seems totally out of control all around him, God, the Lord, is his strength. So what about you, my dear friends? Are the dogs prowling about, howling, gnawing at you? Wait upon the Lord. Perhaps sing aloud one of the great hymns of the church. But whatever you choose to sing, wait upon the Lord. Sing to the Lord. And as you wait and pray and sing, may you hear the Lord say to you, I am your strength. I am your fortress. And I love you with a love that is steadfast, forever steadfast, forever sure. Let's pray. Father, teach us these profound truths. Lord, life is not easy. You know that. You told us that would be true. You told us that in this world we would have tribulation. We don't like hearing that, but you didn't hide it from us. So now teach us. Teach us to turn off into the Psalms, to hear the psalmist begin perhaps with words of frustration and end with words of trust and faith and assurance. Lord, teach us that you are our strength, that you are our fortress, and that you love us with a love that will never let us go. And all God's people said, amen.